Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Well, good morning, church. I'm not on camera yet, but you can hear me. Hey, everybody. Can you just turn me down a bit in-house? There, Tim. Thanks, man. Well, a very good morning to you all. Wherever you are joining us from, it is great that you could be with us this morning for worship. If you don't know me, my name is Josh Shearer. I am the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church and also out at Sandy Creek and Williamstown Uniting Churches as well. We are three churches in three different locations, but all worshiping together online. And also, we know there are a bunch of other um, folks from different places watching this service, either uh, live right now or later on uh, in the week because their local churches aren't doing a service themselves. So we're grateful that you could join us. So wherever you are joining us from, it is real, it is real honor and privilege to be able to lead you in worship and bring you the word today. So before I jump into the message, would you join me in prayer? Loving and gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks into our hearts and into our minds, for the way your truth speaks into our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive everything you have for us today. Lord, give me courage, wisdom to speak that which you have prepared in my heart. And loving God, with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. I'd love to lead you as we approach God's Word, to lead you in the prayer that our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, taught us. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in Heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the times of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are all yours, now and forever we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are working our way through a series at the moment called Matters of the Heart. We are in week two of that series. And the, the series Matters of the Heart, we do it from time to time. And ultimately, if I were to put a word around what this whole series is about, I would say it's about stewardship. It's about using the things that we have been given in our life to honour the one that gave them to us. To use the things that we have to honour the one being, that is God, that gave those things to us in our life. And we're looking across our, the four weeks, four key areas. We're looking at our time, we're looking at our talents, our abilities, our gifts, our skills, we're looking at our relationships, and we are looking at 
our resources, our finances, our money, the stuff that we have in our life, which, to be honest, we've, we seem to sometimes be really good at gathering stuff. But the question is, how are we invited to use that for God's glory in the world? So today I want to look at talents. I want to look at the abilities, the gifts, the spiritual gifts, I suppose you could call it, if you're a follower of Jesus, the capacities, the abilities that we have in our life the things that we can do, the things that make us unique. And I want to begin with something that I already know about you. Now, I don't know who's joining us online, but there's something that I know about you to be true. And that, that is that you are not here by accident. You're not here by accident. You're not on this earth by accident. Neither am I. Neither are the five other people that are gathered in the room with us, well-spaced. Good job, guys. But you and I, we're not on this earth by accident. Despite what your parents might have said, you know, when they broke the news to you once upon a time, you know, that you weren't birthed on purpose or you're an accident, maybe that might have been, that was part of my story, that's a story for another time. But regardless of what it is that we might have heard from other places, Scripture is so clear about this, that you and I, we are not here by accident. We read in Psalm 139, it tells us that you and I, that you and I, as human beings, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were knitted together by God in our mother's womb and birthed into the world with significance and purpose. I wonder, do you believe that today? Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that you have gifts and abilities that are meant to bring, that are meant to give purpose in the world, that have purpose in the world? Do you believe that? Because I believe that about you. I believe that about you. And that truth is a truth that, if I'm honest, as I prepared for this message, it's a truth that God has driven deep into my soul over this last couple of weeks as I prepared for this. And the word that I want to bring to you, I I feel that I have been given it. And if I'm honest, if I'm honest about this, I'm nervous about sharing it. I'm nervous about sharing this word because I want to summarize if I, were to, if I were to summarize what this message is about, it's simply this. And I hesitate to say this, but here it is. The word God ga- gave me was this, it's time to step in the game. It's time to step into the game. We're working our way through the Olympics at the moment. I don't know what you've been doing, uh, whether you've been watching a bit of it or, you know, there's like 17 channels of the Olympics, which is not the way I remember it being. You know, you used to have to watch one channel and they flicked between all sorts of things, but now you get to watch all of, you know, a bunch of 17 different sports happening at the same time. Uh, They seem to be squeeze some ads in there, but ultimately you get, you know, the opportunity to watch basically whatever sport you want. But one of the things I've noticed about the Olympics specifically is the idea that you obviously, you, you compete in the Olympics to win medals, to be the best that there are. And one of the things that's different about the Olympics to perhaps a, a bunch of other different championships, the way you might um, gain something like the NBA, for example, the NBA championship, when they win that, when they win that NBA basketball championship, every single member on that team wins. Every single member, whether they played or whether they didn't. They all get part of the championship. But the, the, uh, the Olympics is a little bit different because, as far as I can tell, if you're not a member of that four-person relay team that won the swimming, then you don't get a medal. 
That's just kind of how it works. Like, if you're not in the game, you don't get a medal. If, if, you, don't, if you don't swim that 100 meters, you don't get the medal. There's something about being in the game. There's something about being a part of things. There's something about striving, giving the best with what you have and where you are, with what you've got, that gives something of, of the extraordinary encouragement of hopefully perhaps winning a gold medal. But if nothing else, be competing on a, on a world stage with the best athletes in the world. Because I don't know about you, but if I ever won a championship and I never played, where's the satisfaction in that? Where's the joy? Where's the significance? Where's the, the fun in that? Where's the fulfillment in that? When we step in the game, we contribute. And there's a sense of achievement and fulfilling that we experience, knowing that we were part of something great. And friends, that's what, I'm, that's what I feel God has wanted me to, to speak to you about this morning. Is what does it mean to step into the game and be a part of something great? The passage that I want to look at this morning is from Acts chapter 6. And it's a moment in the early church when these seven guys, they're all guys as it would happen, seven guys are called in off the bench to step into a role of significance because a need was identified where they could get involved and be a part of what God was doing in the midst of that New Testament early church community. Now, this is Acts chapter 6, so for context, it's quite early in the journey of the early church. We don't, we don't have an ex- necessarily an exact date for it, but we know that it's within, within a really short time after Jesus' death, His resurrection, and His ascension. And it says that in those days, Acts chapter 6, we had some challenges with the Bible for the projection side of things, so you, it won't be on the screen, so you're just going to have to listen to me. But if you do have a Bible with you, handy, I invite you, please open it, follow along, Acts chapter 6 uh, in the New Testament, after the Gospels. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the church is growing, the Hellenistic Jews, that is the Greek-speaking Jews, they were, they were Jews, descendants of Abraham for sure, but they were Jews that were not born in and around Jerusalem, they would have been born somewhere else. And so they didn't speak Aramaic like everyone else. They actually spoke Greek and probably some other native language as well. But they've come to be a part of the church with Jewish heritage, but they're called Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking Jews. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained. How unusual. People don't complain in the church. Have you ever had someone complain in the church? I've never, I've never heard that before. So this is such a unique and unusual experience for the church. Someone complained. In fact, we get the sense a bunch of people complained. And they complained against the Hebraic Jews, the Jews that speak Hebrew and Aramaic, locals of the, this church in Jerusalem there. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, so an issue has come up, and a complaint has come forward that the widows, and who in the early church there was no social security, there was nothing like that at the time, and so for a widow who had no source of income, she had no husband anymore, he had died, and so if she didn't have any family, she was absolutely reliant on, at this time, the church to provide for her daily needs. And when the, if, the, if they didn't get this right, of course, those women were going to struggle. They would perhaps go really, really hungry. They would starve. And what we're noticing here is that the Greek Jews, the Greek Jewish widows, are not getting 
the right amount of food. They're not getting food. They're getting overlooked in the daily distribution of food, whereas the Hebrew widows, obviously, they seem to be getting the right amount of food. So this this issue comes up, and it's ultimately an issue of scale. There's probably an issue of bias there as well. And so the 12, that is the, the apostles, the 12, the 11 that were with Jesus, and then I think it's Matthias who gets added afterwards. I think that's his name. I have to remember. Sorry. So the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together, everyone that was in the church, and they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. They recognized in this moment that it wouldn't be right for them to forsake the calling that they have been given, which is to proclaim the Word and to, pr- and to pray and to be present with the community, to see the gospel further through their witness, because they're the eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus and to His resurrection. It wouldn't be right for them to forsake that to wait on tables. And really, what this is saying is they're not getting it right. Attention has come up because they've, missed, they, they've created a gap, because they, would, they weren't really gifted to fulfill this element of the ministry. They never saw themselves doing this. But as, as a problem of scale, as the church grew, this is something they found themselves doing. And so in verse 3, it says, Brothers and sisters, talking to the whole assembly, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That was their designated role in the early church. And so this proposal, it pleased the whole group. And they chose seven men. They chose a guy called Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed for them and laid hands on them. And so the Word of God, as a result of this shift, this system shift, the Word of God began to spread. That word so, the beginning of verse 7, so means there's a cause and effect connection to that statement. And everything in the passage that's gone before it means based on what has been done. So, the Word of God began to spread once more. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And, just as a side note, the, a large number of priests, those had, that have been serving in the temple, Jewish, uh, I guess, Jewish ministers, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith, that is, faith in Jesus Christ. So not only were new people coming to faith as the Word of God began to spread in and around that area, priests, people that were, convert, people that were Jewish and were a part of the temple sacrificial system, began to recognize and have faith in Jesus as the Christ. There's a couple of things I need, I need to notice about this passage. The first one is... That when a gap was created, grumbling began to occur. Now, as I said before, I don't know about you, but in the church, sometimes, if we're honest, we're really good at grumbling. We're really good at pointing out the things that are not the way that we think they should be. 
And sometimes those grumbles are justified, and sometimes those, grumbled, those grumblings come from a, a spirit within us that is just not looking at anyone else but ourselves. But sometimes, so if, if we were to look at it from a, a righteous perspective, so not from a selfish perspective, but from a righteous perspective, sometimes grumbling can indicate a gap can indicate a a gap between what is and perhaps what should be. In this situation, it was that the Hellenistic widows were getting missed. They weren't eating. And that grumbling was a righteous grumbling on their behalf, a grumbling that was was brought about by justice. And the justice heart, ultimately, that Jesus proclaimed, of bringing justice to the poor, freedom to the captives, and to the slaves. And so that this grumbling was actually a grumbling that pointed to a gap that existed in the system. And so what happens is that the apostles, rather than just sort of dismissing that and going, oh, they're just grumbling, which, if I'm honest, many of us leaders are perhaps too quick to do that in some ways. They listened. They listened to what was going on and they said, you know what, all right, let's fix this. Let's prayerfully figure out how to fix it. But before they did, one of the things I wanted to highlight was sometimes in our life, good can take us away from God. Let me explain that. So sometimes in our life, something that seems good can take us away from something that is of God. What I mean by that is this. There's so many different opportunities that we have in our life. So many different things that you and I can do with our time. And to be honest, there's so many of them are good. They're meaningful. They might be even come from a place of love and of care. And I've no doubt that for the disciples, the apostles, their desire to serve the widows as a part of their responsibility in stewarding the church was a good thing. I've no doubt about that. Of course it's a good thing to serve the poor. But this good thing, as it happened, took them, took them away from the God thing that they were meant to be doing. And it created a gap. And I wonder if, for some of you, where is there a good thing that's taking you away from a God thing? Where is it that you might be focusing on something that is it's ultimately good, it's not a, it's not a bad thing, but but it's actually taking away your time, your energy, and your effort from the God thing that God has got in store for you. It was just an observation, but perhaps it's a challenge for you today. Maybe that's a word for you. Where is there a good thing that's taking you away from a God thing? So the apostles, they recognize this, and they try and fix it. And what I noticed is that they actually chose, it says, they presented, uh, verse 3, it says, okay, Let's choose then. No, in fact, this is the direction. They say, it wouldn't be right for us to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, addressing the crowd, choose then seven men from among you. This is their direction. So they didn't choose them. The apostles didn't choose them. The disciples, the crowd, chose these seven people. Choose from among you people who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and we will turn the responsibilities over to them. I find it really, and, and we'll give our attention to the things that we, we should be giving our attention to, prayer and ministry of the Word. Uh, what I find really interesting is that in this passage, 
God puts the grumblers in the game. That from the crowd that presumably were some of the folks that were grumbling about the, about the, um, the poor distribution of food, God chooses from within, allows the community to choose from within the community that were grumbling, the people that were needed to step into the game, to get involved, to fill and to plug the gap that had been created as the, as the apostles chose to pursue a good thing over a God thing. And so I do wonder sometimes if for us the grumbling, and it might even be a righteous grumbling that we have about a, a genuine gap in our church life community, I'm talking to the church here, could it just be that the grumbling is an invitation? If you notice yourself grumbling about something you believe is righteousness, could it be that that grumbling is an invitation for you to get in the game? Could it just be that that is the calling that is being placed upon your life? Actually comes from a righteous discontent, a holy discontent that you notice in our church life or in the life of someone. You see a need. Perhaps the invitation is for you to fill that need. And that's what we see happen as seven men are appointed. And those men are appointed with two qualifications. None of them actually, it says, have the gift of administration. None of them, it doesn't say that they have the gift of helps. It doesn't say that they have the gift of even hospitality or baking or anything like that. Of accounting, of financial management. It doesn't say anything about that. Instead, the qualifications, and don't miss this, were two things. It was that they would be full of the Spirit and that they would, they would be full of wisdom. And friends, sometimes I wonder, the things that stop us from getting in the game is that we don't feel like we have the right skills or for some reason we feel like there's a better person, a more perfect person out there to fill a role that we have noticed needs to be filled. And I wonder sometimes if we disqualify ourselves before God ever disqualified us. We know that from the teachings you know, in, in the New Testament, in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and, and Ephesians 4, that ultimately the Spirit is the one that equips us for ministry in the life of the church. And when we step into roles, sometimes the Spirit is the one that actually equips us to go and do those things. Sometimes it's that we are equipped when we're born. Sometimes it's equipped by the Spirit as we have need. But either way, I wonder sometimes if we disqualify ourselves before God ever disqualifies us. So maybe there's something in this. That you might just be a person that's full of the Spirit, with the wisdom to know more, to learn more, to be taught more. And that's all that God requires. An open heart and a willing spirit for people to step in the game, to start making a difference, to find purpose and significance in the life that God has called them to lead. And what's the result? The result of the apostles getting this right, of the early church getting this right, is that the word of God begins to spread. Right people in right places brings transformation, brings renewal, brings, in some sense, revival. And I've got to tell you, that thought excites me. That thought, that thought energizes me. That if we were to, by God's Spirit, 
have the right people in the right places, that God can do a powerful work in and through us that we can't do based on our systems or based on our plans or whatever, but is instead about the Spirit of God unlocking from within us all that we need to be and do what God has called us to do. As I mentioned, the Apostle Paul speaks to this in in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm not going to read the whole passage to you. But you can read it all on your own time. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 27. Make sure you, you check it out. But he talks about that you and I, that the church, that people within the church, we are like a body. And just like any body, when you and I, if, if, if a body doesn't have a leg, or doesn't have a hand, or doesn't have an eye functioning properly, that body is less than it could be. That body is, in some sense, disabled from its fullness of ability. Now, we know that through disability we can overcome. In fact, I think the Paralympic Games is an extraordinary witness and testimony of the the human body's ability to overcome adversity, to overcome disability. But the picture of the church that we have, of the church being a body, is that when we have something that isn't doing its job, then the body is less capable than it would otherwise be to do those, to, to do what it is called to do. It tells us that, the, that, in, that we have different gifts, but the same Spirit gives them. That each part has a role to play. And that you and I, as part of the, the body, can neither, and Paul's really clear about this, he says that we can't dismiss any part as not being of value. And we can't belittle the other parts as less than one or the other. For us, I know sometimes it's, it's easy to think that, you know, being on the stage, being in front of a camera, you know, playing up the front, that that's, they're the cool gifts, right? Or even, even the opportunities to pray over people and see miracles happen and, and to see healings and speak in tongues or, or any of those sort of supernatural sort of things. So often we see those and think, well, they're the cool gifts, but I don't have those, so... I just know how to, you know, cook, or I just know how to serve people, or I know how to welcome people in the car park, whatever that looks like for you. So often we, de- we self-diminish and say that those gifts are more important than my gifts, but Paul is so clear, he says, no, 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 don't you dare disqualify what you have been given the capacity to do, because without it, the body is less than it could be. Without it, the body is less than it could be. verse 18 through 20, I want to read this. But in fact, Corinthians 12, 18. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every single one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Friends, we each have a role to play. And our capacity to fulfill the vision that God has given us as a church is diminished if we don't play the role God has set aside for us. And so I've got to be honest with you, and this is the bit that I was a bit nervous about, it's if you're not involved in the broader life of our church, you should be. If you call Gawley United Church home or Sandy Creek or Williamstown or any other church, it doesn't even have to be ours, if you call a local church home and you are not 
actively investing your time, your time and your talents in seeing the mission of that place move forward. It doesn't have to be our church. It could be any church. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not connected into the life of a church and serving there, the mission of that place is less than it could be because you're not there and you're not getting involved. Now, that's the simple part of this teaching. But the harder part of this was something that God called me to, back to about this passage. God called me to look back over this passage and ask a simple question. And the question was, why were the people grumbling? Why is it the early church, why was it in this moment that the people were grumbling? And my first response as I studied this was, well, because of the poor food distribution. That's why people were grumbling. Whether it was bias or whether it was just overlooking, that's, that was it. That's, that's why. And God said this, no, no. He said, because the apostles hadn't yet made space for others to serve. Don't miss this. This was something that God has convicted me about. He says, the reason they were grumbling was partly, yes, because of the food distribution. That was the symptom. But the cause was that the apostles had yet to make space for others to serve. Now, if I'm honest with you, this last 12 months, even this last 18 months, has been a real test for, the, for, a, for a church and for us as pastors because so much of the church's life lands back in the center. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just in some sense that I'm the one paid full time to, to do it, in a sense. And there's key people, key leaders that end up holding all the rocks of church life because it was, that's all that we were able to do. But as we look to the future, as we see a hope and a future that is beyond our current situations of gathering online and doing stuff, we've got to believe that there is a new way forward. And it's a new way forward that, that says that people like me and even our leadership team can't be the ones doing the work all the time. And, it's not, and it could not even be because other people are not willing to get involved. It might just be that because we haven't chosen to give up the rock. And that's where God challenged me in this passage. He said, God, Josh, in your leadership over the last 18 months, you have taken the rock too many times and not given it to people that have got capacity and even a willingness to do it. And so church, I've got to tell you, for that I am sorry. For that, I ask your forgiveness. Because there is more that is in store for us as a church. There is more that we could be doing as a church. And I don't ever want to be the limit of what this place, of this church is capable of. Because like the apostles, I didn't create space for other people to get Involved, And this became really clear. I went on holidays um, throughout late June and early July, most of July. And one of the things that became really obvious was there were a bunch of things that didn't happen while I was away. And in some sense, that's okay, because a bunch of those things don't need to happen while I'm away. 
some of the things that are on my to-do list, not anyone else's. But there were a bunch of things that were just a part of our broader church life that just didn't happen. And I got back and I was like, why didn't these things happen? And God said, because you didn't ask anyone to do them instead of yourself. And so for that, I just want to say that I'm sorry. And I want to say that there's a better way forward. A better way that we want to step into what God has for us. It's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word and prayer to wait on tables. The apostles had a core purpose. I have a core purpose as your leader, as your pastor. Our leaders, church council, have a core purpose. And when we are, we are choosing to release some of the things that we were doing over to our broader congregation, some of those things are things that have been brought about by grumbling. Some of those things are just things that are not getting done. But our heart, and I believe this to be true, our heart is to equip and to encourage and to invite people to get in the game. Believing that you want to, you just haven't been given the opportunity to actually do it yet. So in the near future, we're going to be opening up our church services again. Hopefully next week. Who knows? And there are a stack of things that need to get done around here that I would love, or that we'd love to achieve. We'd love to see a bunch of things get done and to see our church move forward in its vision. We'd love to see people welcoming in the car park. We'd love to see people welcoming at the front door. We'd love to see people uh, helping you sign in for covid helping you sign in for kids' ministry. We'd love to see people in the cafe making coffees. We'd love to see people uh, in this church, you know, up here serving uh, on, uh, through the band. We'd love to see people at the back where Tim is this morning. Shout out to you, Tim. On the sound and on the data projection and on the live stream and on the cameras and, and leading life groups and doing the gardening. And there is so much that makes this church what it is. And all of it is there. And I would love you, we would love you to get in the game and find out what are you passionate about? Where could you bring the gifts that God has given you to see the mission of the church go further and faster than it would be if you didn't? So I've got a job for you. It's a practical, it's a super practical sermon. In some ways, I apologize for that, but in other ways, I don't. I've got a job for you. I'd love to know what you love to do. I'd love to know what you love to do. Because God has given you gifts. God has given you skills and passions that we're missing out on. And that God has a role, I believe God has a role chosen for you. And so after this service, after you've watched it, I want you to go either to our website or to the link that's in our Instagram and on our Facebook page, a link tree. And on that, you will find a ministry service card, a link, an online form that you can fill out. Because if you're online, you can figure that bit out. And on that is going to be opportunities to express what you love to do. It's not about, it's not about signing up for something. It's about opening a conversation and figuring out what it is that you'd love to do and perhaps you've just been waiting for someone to ask. 
So I, I want to challenge you. Get in the game. We as a church are called to be in the game. We're already in the game. But how much more fulfilling it is that we can celebrate wins together as a church, seeing lives transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. How much more wonderful it is that we can celebrate those things together, not because we're on the bench, cheering from the sideline, but because we're in the game, contributing and being a part of it together. So that's my calling. That's a challenge for you today. So I don't know where this lands for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't disqualify you from being a part of community and getting involved. You might not even believe what we believe yet, and that's okay. There are a stack of different ways to still be involved in our church's life before you ever believe anything about what we believe to be true. But each of those things can still be a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful invitation to be a part of the life-giving expression of ministry that we have for our community. That is all that God has called us to be. So that's my challenge today. Why don't you get in the game and see what God wants to do through your life? We invite the, the band back up. Why don't you pray with me, church? Loving and gracious God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way over thousands of years it still speaks life and truth into us. And Lord, this was a challenging word. Lord, would you give us the grace to receive it? I thank you for giving me the courage to speak it. But Lord, would you give us the grace to receive it and give us, us the courage to take a step to have a conversation, to fill out a form, to express what it is that we love to do and ask the question of where it is we could get involved. Because, Lord, you've called us together. We are a body. When every part plays its role, we are the most effective we can be. But when we don't, your word tells us we will be less, we'll be a shadow of what we could be. So help us, Lord. Give us the courage to take a step knowing we don't know what it looks like. But what we do know is that you promise it will be fulfilling, enriching, and life-giving. And it'll be a, it will help us to be a part of something extraordinary in and through your church. Thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know, or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help head to gaulyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.